Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. everyone it's LaShonda from Labors of Love and you're listening to the Labors of Love podcast y'all such a dope conversation that is about to happen so my guest today is a relational healing facilitator and she is the founder of the BIPOC Relational Healing Institute I have with me Akili Akila Riley Richardson what's up happy happy to be here (laughs) I'm so excited to have you here um (laughs) so let's just jump in I'm gonna start with you like I do all my guests and ask what is your labor of love my labor of love is it's multifaceted I'm really invested right now in helping to create spaces for minoritized people um, and, and I'm thinking here about my, my work is a lot, my, a lot of my work is with BIPOC and with LGBTQI folks. And I'm, I'm a lot of my, my labor right now is about kind of trying to find ways for them to be able to speak their truth and, and to imagine like imagination is a big word for me right now. And so creating spaces for them to be able to carve new paths for themselves whether it be in terms of how they experience their relationships whether it be in terms of how they how they experience psychological well, well-being or whether it be how they practice so as a as a therapist as a social worker i think about the fact that my practice seems to be out of someone else's imagination and I really want to fight to create a space for minoritized people to build their own imagination, minoritized therapists to build their own imagination about how to do this work and how to practice, to challenge their own understanding, to challenge their own epistemology. How do I know what I know? And then to give them spe- themselves spaces to breathe and to create new ways, new models, new ways of practicing this work, to trust themselves more, so that's that's a huge part of what feels that's a huge part of what I'm invested in right now. Mm-hmm. That so, feels like uh, I don't know if I answered the question right. No, that no, yeah, you did. Um, one, I appreciate that you said my labor right now, right? So I think sometimes a lot of people come on and they're like, you know, this is my labor of love, and they're able to distill that down. And I I appreciate that you recognize that um, right now. This is what this labor looks like. And and it can shift for many of us, but it sounds like the the core and root of what you are invested in right now is reimagining yes. how we engage folks who have been pushed to the margins. Yes. And um, you know, so in this full disclosure, um, Akila and I are friends 
and we have a lot of conversations about a lot of things and Mm -hmm. reimagination is one that we talk about Mm -hmm. you know I have said that when imagination and survival are in competition survival is going to win out every time yeah 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 that means that many of us who have found ourselves in survival mode have not had the luxury of imagining life being different than it is right now. So the capacity to realize that your future doesn't have to look like your present or your past is really a gift. And when we can give people the space to simply ask that question, what do you want your future to look like in any capacity? When people used to ask me those five and 10 year questions, I would get so overwhelmed. So where do you see your business in five years? I'm like, homie, tomorrow. (laughs) is where I see my business like I would appreciate like I I didn't have the space and capacity to answer those you know what's your five year your 10-year dream and and your five-year goals so we can walk it backwards and then what I realized when I was doing that is I was working with a lot of white folks who had this was specifically around entrepreneurship by the way who only knew how to approach talking about entrepreneurship from that lens. And I found that I, I, it didn't feel like home. It didn't feel comfortable. It didn't feel like people understood my, my lack of capacity to imagine as a result of oppressive systems and trauma instead of a personal deficit or like I just didn't want my business to flourish. So I resonate with that so much. So before we get into the, the hows and the what's of what your labor looks like right now, Talk to us a little bit about where this passion and labor is rooted. Why is this important to you? It's important to me because I'm Black and I live in the Caribbean. <laughs> I can't even pretend. So, so, you know, I am from Trinidad and Tobago and I live in Trinidad and Tobago, though I, I, I'm engaged heavily with different organizations in international spaces. This is home. This is a complicated space. Um, this is a global South space. This is a post-colonial space. This is, and I'm not trying to play oppression Olympics. It, it's, it's a space where, in addition to being a place with a lot of people of color, it's a place that because of wider geopolitics is often excluded we're not off. We're often seen as a place to come take from um, and not necessarily give wholeheartedly, but give with conditions. Um, we often understand ourselves as consumers and not producers of knowledge because we've been taught not to trust ourselves. We've been taught to trust um, everything that's global north. And I live in this reality and I look around at my people and, and yes, there's a lot of pride and, 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 and beauty here and we love ourselves and we struggle with that, you know, that whole notion of double consciousness. Yeah. That Dubois talks about, yeah, it exists here. You know, there's this beautiful book um, by Franz Fanon called Black Skin, White Mask. Yeah, man, we know it. We know about, when I say black, I use black to mean all skins that are, all skin colors that are not white, right? Non-white skin, non-white identities. But 
seeing white identity as 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 something to aspire towards you know and um when you live in this body and engage with it the way i've engaged with it you have i'll be honest you just have the, the personality that i have i think it will just take you naturally to to want to fight to do this for those who may be interested in doing this work with me and, and i'm saying that last piece deliberately because one of the things i've had to learn shonda is that I can't force other people to 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 labor with me in this. I think I was guilty of wanting everybody to be on this thing of, yeah, let's decolonize practice, let's find our own models, let's do this, let's do that. And I also had to learn to honor that some people may not want to walk on that journey with me and to take it down. <laughs> um, and I'm still struggling with that, to be quite honest. Um, but I'm learning that. I don't want to become another colonizer. I don't want to become another person that tries to impose, you know, what it means to to be on another person. And it, and, and it means I may have to even step back, you know, um, from minoritized people when they say to me, no, you know, this is not what I want. So for those, as my, as my dear friend Stan Tatkin has said to me, you know, you know, you, you, the people who are interested in doing the work with you, they become your audience. They become the people you journey with. And you just, you, 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 you approach that with grace. So what has, has, has pushed this, this has been living in this body, having the experiences that I've had, looking at my other colleagues and certain experiences, you know, being educated here, wondering about how the things we've been taught here in this space, all of those things have pushed me to really want to, to do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. And there are a couple of things I want to highlight that um, I, it feels, it's new to me, it's growing, and I, I would imagine the same for others. So it can be very easy for uh, us, universal us, particularly those who are in social justice spaces, who are in healing spaces, when we think about um, systems of oppression, it has a tendency to uh, focus us on our identities that are marginalized. And so when I think about navigating the world as a fat Black woman, those three identity markers can hold a lot of pain, but they can also hold a lot. They also hold a lot of resilience and a lot of pride. And then throughout my journey, I've had to be able to sit down and go, okay, yeah, I I, I see the world primarily through those lenses from a conscious level <clears throat> but I also then have to go okay I'm heterosexual I'm cisgendered um, I speak English as a first language I'm I'm an American citizen um, I'm able-bodied I'm highly educated so then I start going through all of these other identity markers that also very much influence how I look at the world but mm -hmm. not on this conscious level that it's it's just, it is. And that allows me to realize that I have far more identity markers that are um, contributing to systems of oppression than I do ones that are taking the hits from it um, in, a, in, a, in a very conscious way. I want to be clear that systems of oppression don't benefit anybody or mm -hmm. the 1% that it does. <laughs> Everybody else is out here being impacted by it. But as as much as I could say I, you know, I was I'm a US citizen, I've only viewed that from the perspective of living in the US. 
it wasn't until our relationship that I had ever considered my position of privilege being a U.S. citizen from the perspective of not living in the U.S. And that at up until this point, my only international travel has been for vacations and, and you know, going to the Caribbean to come, you know, I am a mermaid. <laughs> so I got to be near that water and how, and but it's always resort-based. You know, let me just go and get in the water. Very, very simple focus. I hope the food is good, but if it ain't, I can move past it because I just need to get in the water. And I've appreciated our relationship for expanding my perspective about what it means to be a U.S. citizen, even if I'm living in the fat Black woman's body. Being a U.S. citizen carries this weight and this privilege that I that I could only see from an oppressive standpoint based on those identities. So I really, really appreciate that. And I would love it if you could just talk a little more about, you know, we've had these conversations, but um, I just think it's something that a lot of people don't consider when we live here, you know, in, in, in the U.S. So can you talk a little bit more about, yeah, about that? Yeah, you know, I when you, and I think you can hear me say this, when you mentioned about, you know, what the what your experience with the Caribbean has been, I think that's how many people engage with the Caribbean. It's this space to come and take from, come and enjoy Caribbean culture, Caribbean food, and, and um, nobody wants to engage with Caribbean struggle, you know, stuff around post-colonialism, um, the struggles with identity, he struggles with even the, the division amongst us as Caribbean people, um, some of which has been fueled, quite frankly, by our European colonizers in the past, the, the classism, the colorism, all of those things. People don't want to engage with that. What they want to engage with is the sea. What they want to engage with is the good food, the music, the calypso, the pan. Um. They don't want to come to the space and um, create spaces for us to connect to our indigenous knowings. They want to come and give us courses at discounts. And when we take out their courses at discounts, we're happy. We're happy because now we are validated and certified in the global north we have understanding the world like i'm thankful that they want to share and give us scholarships and discounts but for me the true way out is if you want to fund something fund schools of imagination fund spaces if you want to give us money give give people who are interested in doing the the indigenous work finances and give us the freedom to be able to build our own scholarship here to build our own knowledge base here um because just because we get your knowledge at a discount it doesn't lead to our true liberation mm -hmm. yeah and well that's the way i feel but i but i want to hold space for the fact that other people may not feel that way and i and i want to honor that so what you're hearing is my stuff and my concern over the fact that we've not been taught to trust ourselves, this very rich space. And I'm and I and I I 
I, I don't really think about Caribbean. I think about, like I was doing this podcast recently with a colleague in India, same problem, you know, um, those of us who don't exist in um, North American or European spaces, we, our ways of knowing the world are not cherished or given the same amount of validation as those ways of knowing the world. And um, I can, as I'm talking about it, I'm feeling the pain and I realize that's what the wise is like, I have to take it back and pull it back because it, it's something that has been troubling me for several years. And I'm seeing this as a person who also teaches in a university here. I, so I, there's a contradiction I walk with and in. I teach at a university here in Trinidad and Tobago. And all our textbooks are from your space. Yeah. Um, and it, it it's it's hard because as I was speaking to a colleague this morning who is a, a was born in the Caribbean but lives in the US, us acknowledging that it's going to take generations. So I know that I may not see any significant shift in my lifetime, you know, but I also know that I am piggybacking on the, the insights of my elders who realize some up. So what I'm speaking to you about, it's not something that I just magically came up with on my own. It was in my heart. And when I did reading and, and read the work of other career because yes we do produce some papers here i'm not i don't want to create a space i don't want to create the impression like you know what we're just this is this total void you know but of course it's not held in um to the same it's not given the same degree of validation as knowledge from other spaces but 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 you know there's been a rumbling for a long time and i am a, a manifestation of past rumbling as well and so I do the work with an understanding that hopefully I'm contributing to future rumblings, you know, centuries in the future when I'll be dead and gone. Mm -hmm. you know? um, yeah, that's kind of what I'm working through now. Yeah. And so you and I talk often about the colonization of knowledge and it, it, you know, like one thing I want to make plain is um, what did very much feel like a Black American issue. I am now realizing, oh, the, I think I was ignorant to the reach of white supremacy culture, patriarchy, capitalism. It, you know, how for it's human nature. <laughs> to experience something as personal until you realize it's 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 more global think about children children experience life as a very individual thing uh concrete brain development says if something good happened i made it happen if something bad happened i made it happen this is just what's happening here so i appreciate how um, my awareness is being extended and to the point where we're talking about um, imagination and ways of knowing um, also had rumblings for a while I did this series of workshops with someone named Amber McZeal called 
decolonizing the psyche. And there was something about being able to intentionally look at all like the the true essence of colonization and uh, colonialism and and the impact that it has on our ways of knowing that has been so instrumental in me trying to truly understand how I've come to know what I know. And so when I now am thinking about the things that I'm reading, even though, come on, y'all, y'all know I don't read that much. I've talked about this many times because it's so saturated. I don't know if I've shared my analogy for reading. I think I kind of figured it out. I think for most people, um, if I were to use like a bar context, reading is like beer. Give me another, give me another, chug it down, slam it down. I want more. And for me, reading is like a hundred proof liquor in a shot glass, a little bit. Woo, and I can read a paragraph a couple of sentences and it's so concentrated for me that I got to sit with it sometimes for months. So I, I'm probably currently reading 20 some books and then I come back to it. But in that now I'm starting to ask myself a few questions. Like one, not just who was the author, but what is the root of this information? And Another thing that has been, this has been the thing for me since college, but especially graduate school, I would read a couple of sentences that would then spark something in my inner knowing. And then it would take, my mind would get going and I'm like, whoa. And so then I write these papers, right? And then people are like, well, you got to cite your source. And I'm like, well, I didn't have this language then. What I would say now is like, my ancestors are the source. My spirit, spirit is the source. Mm-hmm. The universe is the source, right? My body, is my, my body, my experience is the source because you know where it is. It's like, I'm not plagiarizing. How do I know? Cause I didn't read it. <laughs> that was the thing people didn't get. I'm not plagiarizing. I didn't read it, right? But there was yet this inner knowing that connected me and and even as people experience my gift right now, my ability to make connections and synthesize and all of that, I realized that our bodies hold so much knowing. But the knowing that our body holds oftentimes does not directly contribute to capitalism. My body knows to rest. Capitalism tells me to work. So there is a very money. (laughs) Make that money. You know, my body knows that I'm good the way I am. But if I know that I'm good the way I am, then I quit buying shit. And capitalism can't survive if I quit buying stuff. So there is a very strategic reason why our ways of knowing are not validated and supported and promoted because it would undermine the very systems that have been put in place to oppress, to uplift one group of people and oppress everybody else. So we talk about that, but I just wanted to let people in a little bit on, (laughs) these are the kind of conversations we are having, but it's super, super important. And I want to acknowledge that prior to our relationship, the Caribbean was a place where you went to get from. (laughs) Go get that sun, go get that water, go get that food. 
And I'm, I want to own that and name that. And I want to say, now I have an expanded perspective. And that's why true diversity is important. Because it's not something, I know it now because I came into relationship with you. And when people think that diversity is simply knowing or being around people who are different, who have a diverse experience, but don't actually move into actual relationship, reciprocal, loving relationship where you share of yourself and they share of themselves and you can be that real with each other, then it's just it's just value signaling. It's just for show. It, it's just to check a box. So I just want to thank you like that. Now, to be clear, she didn't come lecturing me about my experience with the Caribbean. She uh -uh. just she just shared of her experience. And because of that, it began to, to allow me to think differently. Now that don't mean I'm, I'm trying to go to the Caribbean in January, like I'm going, but how I will engage that experience is going to shift because of my knowing. And that also doesn't mean that might not mean that I don't stay at a resort. Like I need to be clear that sometimes people think change is just this one radical move where you undo everything and every relationship you've had, but it is the conscious intentional way of being different, allowing your being to result in different actions. So that's been huge. And this idea of the global South, you were, you said that, and I'm like, at first I was like, I don't even know what she mean by that. Now, <laughs> I understood like the South in the context of the U.S. I'm Northern born, Northern living, Northern Ray. I understood South from a U.S. context. Then she's like the global South. And I was like, what is the global South? Right? Like what? And so I just appreciate that people don't have to lecture us to be our teachers. People just share their experience. And when you get into relationship with people, my curiosity has grown, but that's also put onus on, man, there's so much I don't know. So I just wanted to like outright name that and um, and appreciate that. So before my next question, was there anything else you wanted to say to round that out? No, I, I think you've handled it beautifully. And I'm sitting and grateful. I'm listening and I'm grateful for how you've, you've articulated that. Gotcha. Hey, y'all. I just wanted to take a quick break to shout out my friend, Karen Michelle Pearson, from Lilac and Indigo. They nourish your body and your spirit through mindful creativity. Listen, I have collaborated with Kara on multiple occasions, all the way from guided meditation experiences to her creating pop-up wellness spaces within events. And she has these beautifully curated mindful creativity kits. They are the bomb, y'all. So if you're looking for something to gift someone special in your life, or you have an event coming up and you need someone to wrap regulation and creativity within that event, you definitely want to check out Lilac and Indigo. Head over to their website at lilacandindigo.com. And if you end up using the code LOLPOD, you'll get 15% off your services and products. So check it out. So now... Um, you have started the BIPOC Relational Healing Institute. Uh, so round of applause and kudos, super excited for that work. And again, before we talk about what the work is and what it'll do, let's talk about the why. How did you get to the point where you said, I got to start my own? I, um, I always wanted to, I, I think that, that I, I looked at our relationships as, 
as BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, and people of color. And I and I found that our relationships um were so influenced by wider systemic trauma and racism and xenophobia and so many other isms and, and schisms. And I felt that I needed to create a space where we can treat BIPOC relationships, situate their and situate their challenges, not all of them, but those that are rooted in in the challenges of, of colonialism and racism, et cetera, and create a space for BIPOC to be able to speak about those things and to receive healing and 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 compassion and care around that. And so the Institute takes a look at just, it centers BIPOC experiences. It brings up the conversations around racism and, and, and colonialism, and it helps us to understand or to see where some of our challenges may be rooted in those things and help us to shift our relationships with our families, with ourselves, with our partners. So I do a lot, I, I, I created this term called relational privilege. And for me, relational privilege refers to those conditions that allow people who hold privilege in the world to feel safe, to be intimate and connected with their partners and with their families. You see, because I don't think that people who experience systemic harm can just naturally feel safe with other human beings and could just naturally have um, wholehearted, safe connections with their partners. I feel like racism can seep into your home. And I feel like we need to name that. And I feel like we need to say, you know what? That being able to do that, being able to connect to your partner requires four conditions. Being able to live in your truth is one. Number two, psychological safety, physical safety, um, feeling accepted and being accepted and, and accepted by other people and accepting yourself. And for me, those are the conditions attached to relational privilege. And so my work is really about how do I build relational privilege in, in, in BIPOC partnerships? How do I help those particular facets to emerge in BIPOC partnerships? Because quite frankly, racism and, 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 and white body supremacy harms and destroys that, destroys those components in BIPOC day by day by day. And so the Institute does that. The Institute also focuses on trying to develop indigenous BIPOC knowledge and helping BIPOC to be able to take that knowledge and, and, and create new ways of working on models. And I do that through what I call PRIDE, P-R-I-D-E, which is pivot, rumble, imagine, develop, evolve. Really creating a space for us to pivot, look at ourselves, look at our society, rumble with that, just as you beautifully rumble, Shonda. Imagine, develop, and most importantly, after I develop new ways of working and new ways of being, who am I now? And that's where the emergence and the, and the evolving comes up. Um, and so those are the two primary things that drove me to create this institute. And quite frankly, it's also just through my own pain of, of realizing that some of these spaces that are created by people that don't look like me, who don't have my experiences, they, they, 
they just can't, Shonda. They can't hold space in very real ways for BIPOC experiences. Yeah. They're as good as holding space for their, for, for BIPOC experiences as I am good as holding space for white experiences. If I can't adequately hold space, um, you know, uh, and capture the white experience, you know, why do other people, folk, other folks feel that they could adequately capture the black experience? Like it just, just doesn't it, it? It just so add up according to Trinidad. We have a science. We have a, a, a we have a a line that we say the maths not maths in as in math mathematics. The maths not maths in. <laughs> you know, it just. It just can't. So, so the pain attached to those experiences, as well as just realizing what's absent, you know, those two things, I think, really, you know, push me to know that I needed to create this space. I appreciate all of that. As a side note, one of my favorite things that you and I do is share our like our cultural sayings and ways of doing things and one that I love is there's always overlap so she'll be like here we say this and I'm like oh we say this and it's like <laughs> really really similar or you know it, I just appreciate she'll be like oh that, that's the thing we do here and I'm like no we do that here too like <laughs> it might be a slight difference and so there I I I feel comforted by the the overlap yeah. like of of our cultures of our ways of of finding joy and humor in situations so like yeah we were like the math ain't mathing like we so she's like we have this thing here and I'm like we say that here too you know so the math ain't mathing yes. <laughs> yeah we said he bought some bots in <laughs> yeah and so it's it's just so funny and me trying to like you know learn the dialect especially when we're texting I'll be like oh did I do it right did I say it right <laughs> so I appreciate that so much and you know what's so what what was coming up for me as you were talking is the very nature of uh colonization is that of extraction it's that of theft it is that of um, imposing. And so, so much of our academic systems and ways of knowing, and academic could be, you know, education and university, but it's also what we call continuing education. It, it is, it is a, uh, a product of saying your way of knowing is not civilized. It's not this or that. <laughs> know it this way. And so then, you know, when, when you're in, so I'll speak from my experience and then I'll give you the opportunity to speak from yours. Um, I grew up in pretty much an all black environment where from my birth until 18 years old, really the only white people I interacted with were teachers. So that was very pivotal for me too. Um, from kindergarten to 12th grade, I think I had four teachers who represented my identity and so that's a message in and of itself that the the bearers of knowledge those who could grade me and assess my academic ability were white and yet all the students I can also count how many white students I shared space with now this is not a typical I don't want to paint this as a typical Detroit experience I went to a small Catholic school because my parents um understood the world that if they were going to give me the most promising future they had to support my education and they did not trust public education where I lived 
And so they made sacrifices to send me to private school. And at that time, you know, in the eighties, the only option they really had were like Catholic schools. So I was not Catholic, but I went to a Catholic school. And then, um, that, that promising, uh, that sacrifice paid off because I would then go on to go to one of the best universities in the country. And I'm not just saying that as a fan and alum, but it is, I went to university of Michigan. It's one of the best universities in the country. And then I went from living in an all black environment where the only white people I engage with are educators to being 8% of the population um, of about 40,000 kids living on campus what one I also graduated with 32 people so I just need y'all to understand that I went from a parking lot puddle (laughs) to the ocean and I ever since um undergrad I have been navigating mostly white spaces part of that is because I had been socialized to pursue whiteness as an idea and an identity, not knowing that my skin would never change. So understand that like, I knew I would always have brown skin and be identify as black. But if I could speak a certain way, if I knew certain information, if I traveled in certain circles, dressed, if I, I, there was an identity of whiteness. And I didn't have the language for that at the time, but it, there was an identity I was taught to pursue if I wanted to be successful. And so when I think about the places that I've navigated over the last 20 some years, the essence of those institutions are those of domination and extraction. So when I go into those places, what I have, what I learned, which might be different from many other people's experiences, though, is I when I was in those spaces, I never felt racially inferior, even though I was surrounded by white people. I actually felt like you need me because mm. I'm the only one here. Mm. <laughs> I'm one of you need me. Mm. I leveraged my blackness in those spaces. And that was that felt like something that I was like kudos to me for a really long time. And it wasn't until the last couple of years that I actually realized how much I had been extracted from. That my what I considered leveraging at one point pretty much saying I'm I'm in this, you need me in this space. So not, I can't think of examples of where I felt, um, now I'm sure systemically, but personally excluded from a place because I was black. I walked in like, ain't nobody, you need me in this space. But then it turned into speaking for an entire race of people it turned into you know all eyes on you with this like I how can I explain it like this very because I didn't experience it like this then I need to be clear this is a new understanding of previous experiences but how I experience it now when I'm in always spaces especially if I'm asked to speak is I have to understand and own that I'm gifted that I'm awesome and amazing and all those things that I have a way with words. So I'm I'm owning it, right? And I sometimes feel like I'm a circus. Mm. That I'm like this thing or or in some kind of a zoo where it's like, oh, oh my, oh, oh, you are so like, and and it almost feels like, how can I get some of that? 
I want some of that. Give me some of that. And that was startling for me because I'm like, this is not a new experience, but how I'm experiencing my experience is new. And that started to make me go like, I don't like this before I prided myself on it. Yeah, I'm here. I represent diversity. Girl, no, you don't. Mm-mm. And so now it feels extractive. So I've had to put boundaries in place and I've had to solidify myself to say, you get what I give. You don't get to come over here taking my essence, my wisdom, my knowledge, my all of these things. And that has been a shift for me. So because of that, I've been more intentional that I need to be in more black spaces. I need to be in more BIPOC spaces. I need to be in more spaces where I am not the sole black person. So now like that, we say like, who all coming? Who all going to be there? I'm a, I'm a huge who all going to be there now because my nervous system can no longer take being the only black person in the space because it feels unsafe and it feels all of these different things. So that is my experience. I've also found that when I've been in some of these spaces, I don't want to assume malicious intent. I want to put the onus on the systems, the oppressive systems that create the cultures in which I've been in, but it's very much like um, I'm the exception. So you're so brilliant but you're the exception. You're so this, but you're the exception, you know? And then I get elevated because of my exceptionality. When the reality is, am I exceptional? Or have Black people always been brilliant? Have we not always carried this in our knowing, but it is just this way and how swooped up I could get in the accolades and how how appreciated I was, that I wasn't realizing this internal tension and war that was happening. And those spaces though, they function off of what they needed from me, but often didn't ask what I needed from it. Those spaces didn't ask me when I needed to feel safe because I need more people who look like me. That that wasn't a concern. It was, hey, we, we, have, our, we have our diversity. <laughs> you are our diversity. Right. And so that's that's some of the experiences I've had um, that has brought me to not just value spaces that are exclusively BIPOC or Black folks, but need. It's an essential function and that I have to get my fill of that before I can go to an all white space and be fortified in, in order to do that. And I can't stay for too long. So those are some of my experiences. How would you describe um, some of yours? I um, I was working with this client once, black client. And um, I actually have this, it's, it's, on, it's on tape because um, they had consented to be recorded. And the black woman, said that she's a black Caribbean woman in the UK and she talked about it feeling like she was behind glass in a museum and when you talked about what you were experiencing that came up for me and I was like Oof. yeah I feel all of it and guess what I realized I mean, you shared your experience and you and that helped to undo my aloneness and when I talked to other um people of color especially black people I feel it it, it I it, there are also experiences that undo my aloneness around this because 
I know about being in white spaces and getting this sense of, oh my God, you're so smart, you're so brilliant, you're so wonderful, you're so this. And um, just getting excited when you bring up diversity. But there's, you know, there's an interesting, you know, sometimes people want to engage with diversity, but only in the ways that it makes them feel comfortable. So diversity is not just about having a DEI consultant and adjusting your curriculum and, and you know, doing things to, to make your trainings accessible to BIPOC. Diversity and inclusion is about taking a hard look at your practices and your organizations and how they intentionally or inadvertently marginalize um, people of color. And I found that in some, not all, not all, certainly not all, in some um, predominantly white spaces, when we have to rumble with the harder stuff, when we have to talk about stuff like fair pay, when we have to talk about stuff like allowing, truly allowing Black voices to have power and to be treated equitably and fairly redistribution of power that's yes. it and influence when it's about that then there's pushback and sometimes it could be painful and performative and um i'm rumbling with something currently like i feel sometimes i feel like i'm, I'm one if i'm doing it right sometimes when i see yeah like you i i being in 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 black spaces feel or at least being around people because I have I mean I have three chosen sisters who are all white but guess what's different they 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 I feel like they've done the work they've done the work so I I don't think that I necessarily need to only be around people of color I think I I, I am I am very open to being around all people and sharing space with all people but you need to do the work get it right Black people, BIPOC, understand whiteness. When I say understand whiteness, it means that we we don't need a lesson in whiteness. We we have to live <laughs> the effects of whiteness all the time. But white people who hold a lot of power, you know, don't understand what it means to live in this body, you know. Um, because when you when you, when you're a fish and you're in water, you don't need to understand what it's like to live on land, right? And so it, it just feels like normal to you when you and 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 you have to do the work. You have to come off and have this image of 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 um of of Wakanda forever and then coming on land with their thing. Anyway, if when you when you have to do the work, you have to, you have to come on land and figure out what it's like to live here, and then we can form true and healthy relationships. So for me, I can I I I know what it's like to be like, oh my god, I need black folks around me. But I also know that I really want to have wholehearted relationships with white folks. I want to have beautiful, powerful relationships with them. But they need to do the work. And the work is, I think, when we speak, not turning us into a performance piece, you know, um, treating us like people, understanding that we're not all the same, that BIPOC, you know, 
the black experience is not the Asian experience, any Latina experience or Latinx experience, they're all different experiences and doing the work to understand them. Do the work to understand your role, because if I have a role, if I have a role, you certainly do and understand your role in maintaining systems of oppression. And this it's, it's hard and it's tough. And I can, I can have wholehearted relationships with all people, but we all have to do the work. And I, that was what I was going to say. Let's define the work. I realize I say that a lot, a lot among, um, along a lot of context, do the work and I, everything you said, I want to add that part of doing the work is being, you got to the being the work. Yeah. And so people focus on doing the work, but they don't shift how they be. So yeah. you learn the things not to say, you know, I can't identify any, well, that's not true, but we living in some precarious times what I will what I was going to say is I can't identify a single white person who thinks it's okay to say the n-word and then I had to realize where I live and say that's not true but most sensible white folk I know know not to say that word Mm -hmm. I want to be clear that that's not doing the work that's 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 also a function of white supremacy culture that says do it right do the thing, don't do the thing. So people start saying, well, what should I have said different? Well, what did you want me to say? Or or what could I have done differently? And my focus is you be different and the doing will come. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, yes, um, treat me like I'm human. But before you can treat me like I'm human, you have to understand and believe that I'm human. that I'm as much human as everyone else because what supremacist culture does is it creates a hierarchy not Mm -hmm. a hierarchy of race not a hierarchy of gender not a hierarchy of sexual sexual orientation or gender expression it creates a hierarchy of humanity and what it says is the epitome of identity of humanity is are these identities and anyone who is not these identities is less than human less than the supreme human so before people start going what do i do be how do you understand that there is no supremacy that no matter how much education you have you're not better than and that's something you control kind of because your access to education is different based on all these other identities and so doing the work is starting with understanding that it's not getting stuck in the shame spiral when you when you forget or when you mess up. Don't spend your energy on the shame. Spend your energy on on being and doing differently. And so when I think of the spaces that I'm in, spaces that I don't mind being in, and I, I do still navigate white spaces, it's like you said, <laughs> when something is brought up, to your attention that natural inclination to be defensive it's there it's a human experience but you're doing the work means working so that you can you can stop oh it's coming oh let me pause and let me actually listen part of doing the work is believing people when they tell you what their experience is Mm. it's not filtering someone else's story through your own experience and go oh that can't be true right i'm gonna bring it a little more personal Doing the work (laughs) is when a black woman says this is her experience, not looking at the white man she's had the experience with and going, he would never. (laughs) 
I can't believe that he, no, no, he didn't say that. I, I know he can be a little blah, blah, blah sometimes. I know sometimes he's not the most (laughs) sensitive person, but I can't believe that he would, no, he didn't say that. Well, maybe he said that, but what he meant, some, listen, and and this is where I don't even think it's controversial, but this is when I'm gonna get real, real. I think some of the biggest gatekeepers of all these systems are white women. And intentionally so, because the systems were created that way. When we use the analogy of the plantation to describe our current experiences, people are like, no, yes, y'all, we're I, still I, living on a plantation. I, and, I have, sorry, I need to interrupt. Sorry, mm-hmm. I, I feel, mm, I, mm, mm, listen, I had an experience recently I um I distanced myself from a, a, a very reputable person, a very reputable thought leader. And um I remember because and I remember one of the persons in the organization said you know, he's insensitive at times, you know, but it's not this. It's I'm like the here it is. Here is the, and here is the euphemism. Here is and 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 this particular thought leader describing his behavior as imperfections and feelings and and and, and I and I had to say miss me with sorry in in Trinidad we say miss me miss me with this so miss me with this please. we say that too okay great miss me with the with the with the euphemisms miss me with the sorry that landed for me and um, there's a way that. White body supremacy apologizes for itself and protects itself and takes care of itself by not challenging itself to the extent that it needs to be challenged. It prefers to trivialize, soften, but 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 but, but the softening is not about trying to to protect those who have been harmed. It's it's about trying to protect itself, you know. So when when people like you just talked about, you know, some of the stuff that I consider to be euphemisms, and and I I'm like this isn't even about the people who get harmed. It's about it's about upholding the system. Sorry, I'm I'm still because it 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 hurts to talk about just just. And it's not even about me per se. It's just looking at the fact that we are working an uphill battle, but trying to name just the ways in which the system does not adequately hold space and does not validate the experiences of people of color. It's designed to protect itself. And sometimes what I'm learning now is that, and I'll be very honest, when when you realize that the system is designed to protect people that don't look like you, you have to sometimes walk away and be like, mm-mm, it's in this space. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't have to fight every battle. I have to take care of myself and get the hell out. You know? And, um, yeah. Because it'll destroy you. And we deserve, we deserve to not only survive, we deserve to thrive. You know, like I often say, as I said, I line often, it's like, this ain't 16, 19. I don't have to, I, I could walk off, you know, it's harder, but I could, I could leave, you know, I, I, um, 
my own therapist said to me, we no, in therapy, I I said this to her and she 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 held this gem. I said I can choose where I walk. My I can choose where my feet go. And and while there are real systems of oppression sitting in 1619, and there are spaces that I can walk to and walk away from. And I think that's important. It's super important. And I feel the need to come back and I want to, and I want to clarify, because I said what I said and I meant what I said, but I want to give a little more context to um, when I talked about white women being um, some of the main protectors, um, especially since I know a large part of my listenership are white women, according to the demographics that I get anyway. Um, the plantation was designed as such. Yeah. Um, the white women on the plantation did not hold power. They did not hold power, but they 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 occupied this space that was almost an intermediary between the owner and specifically the Negroes in the house. Woo! And so that the 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 very nature of that role was that of protection of the master, if you would. Right. So we we can often talk about the 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 field Negroes and the house Negroes and the tension that exists between black bodies around that dichotomy. We talk about the the owners, but we don't talk about the we don't talk about the mistresses. I, I don't hear that conversation happening a lot, right? So even in that, they don't even get to be a conversation piece. They get to sit there with the full awareness that their husbands are raping Black women and having children to increase their quote-unquote property. And they get to have a certain level of punishment that they enact on those who are in the house because of their pain, because of their portrayal, because of all these things that they're experiencing. There is a There are people they can take that out on because they can't take it out on him. They can't go to him and say, I don't like the way I'm being treated. They didn't hold power, but there was in essence this thing they needed to protect because their livelihood, their comfort was all in the system. I need people, period, but white women to think about the legacy of that. Yep. We as black people rumble with the legacy that slavery has on us and how all of that, 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 that's a thing we do. Yep. But I need, I need y'all to rumble with the legacy of slavery and enslavement that still lives in your DNA that has passed down epigenetically. That you don't even have to consider your protection of this system because it's innate in who you are but yep. not who you have to be. So that's the invitation. And how often when D, when it's time for DEI work, everybody says, let's go get a token person of color when it's not our work to do. Yep. It is not our work to do. It's y'all's work to do. Yep. So and there to is- be. And to be. be, be. It is your work to be. It is, it is unraveling that. And we don't get to be the emotional workhorses <laughs> that hands it to you on a platter and say well how does this feel we got to do that uncomfortable work you know this is this is why when people like where do I start I I do highly recommend Resma Minicum's work Woo! He talks about this being a collective nervous system issue he got a whole free course be like me do the nine-month cohort on somatic abolitionism mm-hmm. there 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 is a and, and that's all about being not doing which frustrated people 
when we gonna get to the doing he said we ain't until you learn to be <laughs> that's what i'm talking about right? so there is this thing and 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 why i think it's important is because um bottom lining it as as my homie damon would say the bottom line is this isn't historical <laughs> what akila and i are telling you is we live it today so for people to look at this as some kind of historical context that has long gone, that was 1619 and was back in this time, we're telling you that we live it today and that there are still people with power and influence who, even if I, if I take out malicious intent, are still exercising the power and privilege that they have not earned and have been given to harm people who have been pushed to the margins and so what I really appreciate and as we get ready to close because we can talk literally forever <laughs> is I can choose where my feet walk the power of that that for so long and and the revolution in that because our ancestors could not choose literally where their feet walked within a limited space there there was no choice so when we those who do have marginalized identities stay in these environments i want us to consider the ancestral implications of that yeah but our ancestors could not and we can now is it scary absolutely is it hard uh-huh right but just knowing that we have that option can be the first step and what I appreciate about you Akila is it it wasn't just leaving a place that was harming you but it was leaving a place that was harming you creating a new place to hold the space for what you needed and inviting people to come to that space um that feels revolutionary um an act of not just resistance but an act of love an act of love for yourself and an act of love for other people that you are trying to create a space for where they can truly be seen, heard, and understood. I want to be clear, like um, in service of Akila's program, Jay and I participated in some of the activities that she has created. And we sat there and I'm talking like, y'all, I mean, y'all know me. If you listen, you know, I, I do my work. I'm deep. I'm all this stuff. But had I actually sat and considered the impact of racism on my marriage with my Black husband? Not really. <laughs> Not really. Had I considered the impressions that were made upon me and my upbringing and how I viewed it? No. So we got into some deep stuff where I I recognized the legacy burdens that I was carrying in the way that I saw my husband as a black man, the way I saw myself as a black woman, the tropes that had embedded themselves in our psyches and how we treated each other. And we got to walk through that thing. Mm -hmm. And now the way we engage with each other on the outside, it might look the same. We've always loved each other. We, we dope people, we fun, but the way we engage on this new level is being able to call that out and ask questions in real time. Pause. Is this about this? 
or has that seeped in again? Oh, so now we have new language. We have exercise. We have this whole way of thinking about our marriage, our partnership, our relationship that I have thought about my relationship with the outside world in these ways, Mm -hmm. but I hadn't really brought it into my capacity to parent and to be a partner and a spouse. So it's not like, yeah, she over here doing dope work. And I can say that because I've been a participant and I've been a benefactor of that work. So Akila, we're going to have to have you back so we can just keep going. (laughs) (laughs) But I want you to tell the folks, please, um, about what you got coming up, what you got going on and how people Uh can find you. Yeah. If you want to find me, Go to Akila Riley Richardson.com, A-K-I-L-A-H-R-I-L-E-Y-R-I-C-H-A-R-D-S-O-N.com. I'm sure I think Sean will put it out. Um, and we have a, a, a free webinar coming up in 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 February on relational privilege. This thing I spoke about um in January, on January 12th at 3 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. ESD. Um, AST Atlantic Standard Time, where Trini people from, right? <laughs> and um, and you know, in May, I've been so I've had amazing support from the Academy of Therapy Wisdom, very invested in social justice work, and we are going to be relaunching our course on relational privilege and systemic trauma in 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 May. We're going to be looking at the impact of racism and, and, and homophobia and transphobia on minoritized couples and 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 delving deeper. So so yeah, I'm I'm excited to be doing that. I hope to see, I hope people will show up and support the work. Um and later on in 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 March and fall from we're gonna do six sessions looking at how to get therapy build their own models and imagination that's those pride circles coming up and i'll share some more information about that but yeah plenty happening plenty Plenty happening listen that's 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 2023 i sometimes forget the longevity of 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 this body of work i'm creating so if you listen to this these times are in 2023 but listen i can almost assure you that whenever you're listening just go check out akilarileyrichardson.com and she'll let you know what's coming up um i i want to highly endorse and recommend these offerings um it's not only my my friendship um and relational partnership with Akila that makes me recommend it but I just want to reiterate um having been a recipient and participant in um the her imagination has truly um impacted and revitalized my marriage um so saying that and um therapists BIPOC therapists you listening one of the things that I'm always encouraged with Akila is my imagination yeah. and trusting my ways of knowing when many of the systems would have convinced us that we can't. So um, when she puts out the information about the pride circles, y'all, I'm, I'll be there. <laughs> let's, let's, let's really come together and do all the pivoting and rumbling and imagining and all of those things together um, because it can be a very isolating and lonely experience when we're navigating this world, feeling like we're the only one. And the one thing I can tell you is we're never the only one. So 
Akila, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to share of yourself, your story, uh, your beauty, your wisdom with my listeners. Um, yeah, we are just so blessed to have you. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Bye, everyone. Yes. I want to give a shout out to Trey Angel. He does all the music for the Labors of Love podcast. To my producer, Jay Sugg from Instant Classic Media. Y'all know my listeners. I love y'all. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget about Patreon, um, where if you are not able to, yeah, just go to Patreon. Support me. Because y'all listening. I see the numbers. Y'all are listening. I just want to remind people that while this is a labor of love, it costs me and my family. I am able to do a lot of at no cost to others offerings. And if that's going to be sustainable, I need y'all support. So head over to the Patreon. Not to mention y'all get Patreon exclusive content. That is super, super dope. We're on all the social media outlets. So don't forget to share the podcast with your loved ones and your friends. And if you haven't already, go ahead and give us that five-star rating, please. Write a review, do all that good stuff so people know we're here. Until we connect again, you all be well.